Amen. We are in a series called When We Fail At Together. And what does that mean? We are looking at all the times uh, throughout Scripture for the next couple of weeks is when do we fail as a family, as husbands and wives uh, moving forward into our relationship? When do we fail as parents and children moving forward into the promises of a blessed home? When do we fail as a church family being the people God has called us to be? There are more divorces and church splitting happening now in the last generation, maybe than ever before. And in a day like COVID-19 and 2020, when there's so much division in our world, how do we ensure as Christian families and as a church family that we are united together moving forward into the best things that God has for us? Somebody say amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you about, we talked about uh, blame, when blame has a name. Uh, And I want to talk to you tonight, this morning, about when backbiting bites back. When backbiting bites back, Numbers chapter 12, as you turn there, uh, I used to be a very critical person. Uh, growing up, I, I don't know why, I, I grew up in a, in a church family, in a, in a great home, and great parents, and godly, uh, God-fearing parents. There was something I just in my human nature, that old man that was on the inside, the Bible talks about, just to be critical. And I didn't know it. That was the problem. I, I grew up, and it was easy for my friends as a young person and I just to get together. And when you get together, what do you do? You talk about other people. That's just part of life, I guess, you know, just something that we do as people. And I didn't realize how easy it was at the time for me to just make a small remark about someone and within the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, we had cut down the entire person. I don't know if you dealt with that or you're dealing with that today, but just being honest, I didn't really know that about myself till later on. You know, sometimes God is patient with us and later on he reveals things and you look back and say, oh man, that was not really good about me or or whatever. And I just knew that sometimes when we just got together to just talk, it led to talking about someone. Uh, And I told the first service, I said, it's going to be real quiet today already. Uh, I didn't realize a big part of that, though, stemmed from inner insecurity in who I was as a person. It was ignorance in some part because I didn't really know what it meant to be a child of God. I didn't really, even growing in church, didn't know what it meant to be what God had called me to be. I didn't know what it meant to really be a good friend or really be secure in my identity in Christ. And so that insecurity led to comparison. You begin to compare yourself about other people's strengths and other people's gifts and what they're doing and they're athletic and they can sing and you begin to compare and that comparison, what does it foster? It fosters criticism. It just naturally does. Comparison always fosters criticism. Uh, And it was easy in my life for a long time to backbite more than bless. And what I mean by that is that when you begin to open your mouth to talk about someone, it was real easy to see all the issues that you could compare and contrast and criticize, even especially a person you disagreed with. A lot easier to backbite than to bless. Uh, and blessing was really hard for me, just to, just to be a person that was always positive, talking about the positive traits of somebody else. And Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Meaning that backbiting by definition is this. It is when you, behind someone's back, speak maliciously or to injure them. The problem is they're not there. And so how do you injure them when they're not there? Well, the Bible says that you're not, in a sense, injuring them, 
but you're injuring yourself. And in fact, you're the person that's not moving forward into God's blessings. They may never know that you talked about them, but the Bible says that you are going to eat the fruit of what you speak, and when you're speaking that, it comes against you. I'm the person being injured. So what happens? I become a person that walls myself in. I become a person that adds more uh, criticism in my life. I become negative. I, I be one of those people who my relationships never get beyond the surface level. I begin to lose intimacy with those that I have friendship or relationship, especially in a marriage. You begin to backbite your spouse with your in-laws or your mom in law your mom or your dad about your husband or your wife, and you begin to break that relationship down. That relationship begins ultimately to erode. You begin to talk about your kids, or kids you begin to talk about your parents, or you begin to talk about other church members. Those relationships, even if that person doesn't know it, you have suffered the consequence in yourself, and that trust, that intimacy begins to erode before you even know it. Amen, I got some amens. So backbiting only injures us, and we fail to move forward into not only our personal blessings of what God has for us, but our blessings as a family, and especially as a church family, there are many church families that have split over things that have been talked about in the back corners and back conversations. Many marriages have split because of things that have been talked about behind the backs. And the question for us today is this. When we open our mouths in conversations, private conversations at the dinner table with our spouses, uh, with our coworkers, with our friends, with church friends, do we bless more than we do anything else? If we were to count it, how many times positively do we speak about other people? And if we were to count it and add it up, do we bless or do we backbite? Because backbiting always bites back. Moses and Miriam, Numbers chapter 12. If you're there, somebody say amen. Let's read it. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 9. says this, And then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Listen to that. And the Lord heard it. Now Moses, this man was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out of the tent of meeting. And the three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all of my household. And with him, I speak mouth to mouth or face to face even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. So why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. And so what happens next is Miriam immediately, they, there's a scream probably lets out. She looks, and her, her whole body is white and pale, and her skin's kind of falling off. She gets leprosy. And Aaron looks, and he screams, and he says, Moses, intercede for us. Pray for us that we've sinned against you. And so Moses intercedes right then before the Lord because Moses is humble. He, even though they've talked about him, he finds this out before the Lord. They talked about him, but he, he's a good, faithful brother. He's a good, faithful prophet, minister. He, he's a lot like Jesus in that sense that even though they injured him he's willing to intercede so he intercedes for his sister but God says no I've got to punish her and for seven days she's got to go outside the camp until I heal her and then she comes back in and for seven days all the people of God could not move forward to the next location they had to wait while these top leaders 
got it all together, and then they could move forward. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. They, when backbiting bites back, we fail to move forward into the promise God has for us. Well, let's go back and kind of get the family history, because, you know, just like every time we talk about someone, we've got to talk about their whole history. So let's talk about their whole history. So Miriam, let's talk about Miriam without backbiting Miriam for a second. Let's go back. Let's rewind until she's six years old. She's about six years old, somewhere as a young person, and her mom says, Miriam, you've got to take your baby brother down to the river. They want to kill him. He's three months old. And Miriam is with her mom and their dad, and they take him down to the Nile River. And while other parents were forced to throw him in, his mom cares for him, puts him in a basket, wraps it with tar, and pushed him down. Miriam is mothering, man. Even as a six or nine-year-old girl, her three-month-old brother is floating down river crying, and she's... She's the oldest sister. And there's three of them. There's Miriam, Aaron, and then the three-month-old baby Moses. And she follows along and she watches and watches and watches. And finally, it floats to the Pharaoh's daughter. And it gets to the Pharaoh's daughter and she has empathy over it. And, and this bold little girl, some Jewish scholars and, and uh, theologians think that Miriam had this She had this prophetic uh, thing that where she said, I think God is going to do something great. She's going to do something great through this baby. I'm going to switch mics. And he's going to do something great through this kid. And so she follows over and she mothers over and she mothers over him and she boldly steps up and says, hey, if you need a nursemaid, I know the perfect one. Aha, it's my mom. And so she, she boldly stepped. This is a slave girl, a girl that was worth nothing to the eyes of Pharaoh's daughter. And she boldly stood before this princess and said, hey, I'm going to save my brother. And for 13 years or about, Moses got to live at home with his family. He was raised a Jew. He got to learn Jewish heritage. And he was with his sister until the time that he would go back to be a prince of Egypt. And he'd go to like college and learn military art and war and, and poetry and literature. Everything he needed to learn to lead people's, God's people out of the land. Nobody knew that. Until the moment he kills a guy because this passion for his Jewish ancestors, uh, he up, stands up for an abusive slave master. At 40 years old, Miriam watches her brother disappear into the desert. 40 years she's known him as a slave and then as a prince of Egypt. He leaves and for 40 years she never sees him again until one day God says to her middle brother Aaron, he says, Aaron, go out. Moses is coming back. And at 85, 90 years old, let's say Aaron goes out, and 80-year-old Moses is coming back with his new wife, Zipporah, and their two sons uh, from the Midianite country where he had lived with his father-in-law, Jethro. And they come in, and these three, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, watch God do some amazing things. Ten plagues, and they part the Red Sea, and they follow their baby brother out across the Red Sea. And as soon as they get across the Red Sea, Moses leads them in song. And then Miriam, the Bible says that Miriam takes the tambourine and prophetically sings to the Lord and leads all the women into song and prophetic praise to God. And so Miriam, in that moment, it's the first time we see her name and the first time we see her title, that she was a prophet of God. The people loved her and represented her as a, uh, acknowledged her as a prophet. She was a worship leader. And she was the big sister of little old Moses, who's 80 years old, right? What does that have to do with anything? You have to notice this was a family affair. 
The Bible says there was that it's uh, Jewish interpretation maybe thinks that her, remember the guy that would raise Moses' hands up? That would have been her son. She's got Aaron who becomes the high priest and they get to Sinai and God uses this family, these three siblings to take God's people into his promises, to move them forward and for two years they organize. For two years God sets order. He sets authority. He says these tribes are in this place. These tribes are in this place. Aaron's going to be my high priest. And this family is going to do that. And the Levites are going to do this. And he begins to set the authority and the order and the position that is required for God's people to move into God's blessing. Why is that important? Order and authority are important in God's kingdom. That he has a position and a purpose and a place for everyone in his camp and a plan to get them to the promised land. And there's a moment where Moses gets so burdened by this grumbling people, and he says, I need help. He goes to his father-in-law, he says, why don't you diversify and give some more authority over? So he chooses 70 elders, and later on, God would fill these 70 elders with the prophetic gift, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and that's where this story begins. I thought I was a prophet. How come Moses didn't ask my opinion? And this older sister... Miriam talks to her middle brother, Aaron, about their baby brother, Moses, and what starts about his marriage becomes about his ministry. So let's look at this. I'm going to give you two, two things. Number one is personal versus positional. Personal versus positional. Personal. So, I mean, come on, let's just be honest. How many siblings have never talked about their other sibling? Yeah, right, I got two siblings right here on the front two rows, right? Uh, how many siblings? I mean, this is like normal stuff. How, I mean, why is this wrong, God? I'm coming, come on, it's his, her baby brother. And I'm sure she's like, dude, if, if, if I hadn't pulled you out of those, that water and I'm putting you there, if I hadn't stepped up, you wouldn't even be here, bro. I mean, you owe me, you know, right? And so she begins to talk. It says about the Cushite woman, which is a dark-skinned woman or an Ethiopian woman. And some people think this really was his wife, Zipporah. Zipporah was from Midian, and part of Midian can be called Cush. And so that maybe she's talking about this woman that he married when he was in the desert, and she's not a Jew, man. What are you doing marrying a lady who's not a Jew? That could have been it. Maybe there was something there. It could have been that his wife died, and he married another woman, an Ethiopian woman, which again would have been a person not a Jew. So she took preference about his marital advice. Come on, I know you give your kids, your, your siblings marital advice sometimes, you know? And so... Maybe she was doing that. Some people think that Moses had pushed himself away from his family to the degree that he didn't want to be uh, out there and exposed. So he said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be alone with God a lot. And he wasn't spending enough time with his family and that he hadn't been with his wife very much and he wasn't going to have any more kids. And she's like, no, you need to be, we're, we're prophets. We do this. We have a family. We do all this stuff too. Moses, you need to like chill out, dude, have a life. And there was a personal preference. We don't know, and the reason is, it doesn't really matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because the issue really was revealed as Miriam began to talk. She went from personal to positional criticism. You know, you want to know what someone speaks, you just let them, or what someone feels about a pro, uh, an issue, you just let them talk a little while. And you know, you, you ever had that relationship with a person and you're like, why are you so angry? Why are you upset about this? I'm not upset. 
I'm not upset. Don't ask me why I'm, you're clearly happy about the situation. Like, I mean, you're great. Yeah, I'm not, a, don't ask, you know, because as you begin to talk, you really reveal what you feel. And right here, it's in the heart. Remember Matthew 15 says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart. And those are what defile the man. Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And the real issue was really not about what the issue was. It was about what was in Miriam's heart. It was personal into positional. What do I mean by that? Miriam had done exactly what the people were doing. Miriam was murmuring. It was a momentary slip. This is a great, mighty woman of God. Great, mighty woman of God. But for one moment, she joined in the murmuring that Moses had been enduring. Her personal opinion of his marriage began to question the positional authority of his ministry. For instance, it would be like this. If I was Moses, I'd do this. Or how dare he go ask his Gentile father-in-law, Jethro, about some opinion. Where do you think we are? We've been this whole process, dude. I, I mean, I was watching you for 40 years. I was a slave, dude, while you were in the palace. I mean, uh, how dare you not ask me? I've been with you for this whole process. You owe me. And he begins to murmur about him. Or what about all these prophets are prophesying? What about me and Aaron? How come I'm not prophesying? How come you're not using me or asking me, am I not a prophet too? You ever notice that constructive criticism isn't always so constructive, right? It's not always so constructive. In fact, it's like a wildfire sometimes. You can lock that little spark in a conversation, and before you know it, you've burned down the whole forest. And that's exactly what James says. James says in James 3, 5, he says, So the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And see how a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire? This is the problem. Sometimes we can talk to someone but it quickly talk, goes into talking about someone. Sometimes we can talk to someone, but it quickly turns in talking about someone. Or think about it this way. Sometimes we can start with telling facts about a situation, and then it turns into how someone acts about a situation. Now, you hear me this morning? Sometimes we can talk about facts and say, I'm just telling you what happened I'm just telling you what I saw. I'm just telling you exactly what happened. So-and-so did so-and-so. But then when we went to, but you know, so-and-so always is like, so-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. And then their brother is this way, and their sister's this way, and their mom's this way, and that happened 20 years ago, and then they did this, and then this, this, this. I can't believe they're still together today. I don't know how it's even working. But that all started with one event. And we left the event, and we began to devalue the person. Amen, Pastor Heap. All right, good. You might say, you know, hey, but Pastor, we're a family. This is just how we talk, man. Uh, don't we have the right to talk about our family? <laughs> you probably do, and they might be justified. I'm not saying they don't deserve to be talked about. That is really not the issue here, but the issue is when we take that event and we move it to value. And what happens is Miriam disqualifies herself from being able to deal with the situation because her heart is in the wrong place. She disqualifies herself. She could have went to Moses directly. She could have said, hey, how's your marriage? How are you doing? How can I help you? What's going on with you and your wife? How? But now she went behind his back. She murmured and let her heart speak out of a bad place. So she disqualified herself. So that's number one, personal versus positional. She be, let comparison turn to criticism. And that's where Matthew 12 says, but I say to you that every idle word men speak, they'll give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you can be condemned. And God saw that secret conversation 
where three siblings had issues with one another, but it was not just personal, it was positional. Second thing is there was opinions, and it went outside the order. Opinions versus the order. Her opinions went outside of God's order. What does that mean? Her brother, think about this, her brother is her baby brother, but he's also the leader of God's people. That's a hard place to be. Like, I mean, I wiped his butt. Come on, let's just be honest. I wiped his nose. I didn't tell on him when he took the cookies from the cookie jar. I pulled him out of that situation when he was 16 years old and he came in late and I didn't tell mom and dad where he'd been. I mean, I've got stuff on him. And he's my baby brother, but he's also God's leader. How do we do this? You think about it when you have a coworker and a boss relationship. Sometimes our bosses become our friends, which is a great thing. And it's great as you're a boss to be friends with your employees and employees be friends with your boss. But what happens when that moment comes and you got to put that hat back on and tell your employees to get to work? What happens? It doesn't always go well. Why? Because when we step outside of that boundary of authority and we say, well, can you believe they treated me that way? Yeah, they're your boss. They got to do what a boss has got to do. They got to do the job. They got to lead y'all forward into the goals of this company. And I know they're your friend, but they still got to be who God's called them to be. And guess what? You got to be who God's called you to be. You're the employee and they're the boss. And that doesn't have to be a problem, but sometimes because we begin to compare and step outside of the order that God has put us in, we begin to get critical. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? My boss can be my friend, but there are boundaries with authorities. For instance, so she judged herself. It really is so it was partially that she com- began to criticize Moses and himself, but she really judged herself when she stepped out of who God had called her to be. So for instance, number one, she was a sister. What does that mean? She was a sister. What is the job of a sister to their baby brother? You better have their back. That's your job as a sister, to love your brother, protect your brother, defend your brother. There are people murmuring against your brother. Her job was not to murmur with them, but to say, you want to talk to them about my brother, you're going to have to go through me first. That was her job as a sister. Now, number two is that she was a prophetess. What does that mean? That you gave up your mouth to be the mouthpiece of God. And your mouth is no longer yours anymore. If you're a prophet, you're called to speak for God instead of speaking against God's people. And she began to let her mouth not be used for the Lord, but be used for the things of division, the devil. And so she let her mouth go. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the mouthpiece of God, she began to run her mouth, all right? There was the, the role of a worship leader. She was the worship leader of the women, uh, of the people of God. And instead of leading people to praise, she began to lead people into put downs. And not only this, take it, just take notice, who is she complaining to? Birds of a feather flocked together. Who is she complaining to? The guy who made the golden cow, for crying out loud. I mean, of all the people you're going to complain to, this dude, just a few chapters over, about let us all to be burned to death by the fire of God. I mean, come on, pick a better person to complain to than a person who had a huge moral failure just, just a couple years ago. So she begins to complain because she stepped outside her boundaries, begin to compare and criticize because the question is, who are you? That's your question for today. Who are you? What's God called you to do? What is your responsibility as a person in the family of your home or the family of God? Satan, the very first thing that happened was that he said, even though he was an angel, stepped outside of his boundaries and began to say, I think I can be like God. And he stepped outside of his position and began to criticize upward. Adam and Eve, same thing. Satan says, 
why are you happy with what you have? You're supposed to steward the world and do these things, but you know, there's probably more for you. Step outside that boundary. Try to exalt yourself a little bit. Criticize upward. Maybe God hasn't given you everything he's wanting to give you. Maybe you're, you deserve better. Maybe there's more to this than others. And you stepped outside of, man, if I just be the best that God has called me to be, it is going to lead me into better promises, more relationship with God. But they stepped outside the boundaries. Same thing with Miriam. By judging, stepping outside the boundaries, instead of saying, how can I help my brother with the role that God has put me in? How can I help him as a sister? How can I help him as a prophetess? How can I help him as a worship leader? Lead God's people forward. How can I, as a, as a family, me, him, and Aaron, get closer together, and let's take these people to where God's called us to go. And yeah, we're not perfect, and maybe his marriage has got some issues. I don't know what the problem is, but maybe I got some issues. And maybe I need to be the best me I can be so that we can move forward. Somebody say amen. You see, in every family, in every church family, there is a purpose, a function, and a contribution for you and God's plan. You have to know. You have to know who God's called you to be. Let me give you the first one. Family roles. Families, you've got to know who God's called you to be. Dads, husbands, you need to know your job according to Scripture. Not according to Hollywood, according to Scripture. You are to be the spiritual head, the priest of your home, to lead your family deeper in the Lord. And when you don't do that, your family fails. Dads, you are supposed to lovingly die for your woman, for your wife. And when you don't do that, your family fails to move forward. But wives... Your job is not to be the husband. Your job is to be the wife. And your job is to support and care for and respect and build up your husband and nurture your family in the things of God. That's your job. Kids, what is your job? To obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. To honor your father and mother. And guess what? When a child steps out of their boundaries and criticizes their parents, families don't move forward. When a wife steps out and she criticizes her husband, Families don't move forward. Relationships break down. Do you see this pattern here? It's not that one is better than the other or higher. There are gifts and appointments and divisions, just like the camp. These three tribes go in front. Well, I want to be in the tribe that's going in front. Well, somebody's got to be the tribes that go in back and protect us from behind. Somebody's going to be the three tribes on the right. Somebody's going to be three tribes on the left. Somebody's got to carry this tent, and someone's got to carry that tent, and someone's got to be the priest. Not everybody can be the priest. It is not about being better, because when we begin to criticize and compare ourselves, we fail to move forward. There is an order to God's families and his church families moving forward into the blessings of God. And in a world that we live in today where we can just all on Facebook criticize everyone above us has nothing to do with us at all. But we feel like we have the authority to criticize any person who does any job that we're not doing. I was, amen. That, that's the rebellion of man's kingdom. But in God's kingdom, in God's order, there is a place and it is a valuable, good place. Moses could not be Miriam and Miriam could not be Moses. Both had to be who God called them to be. Families who backbite, step out of this order, will fail to move forward. There was a lady, real quick, there was a lady. We went, uh, I wasn't there, but I, I had the phone call later. Uh, I don't know, years ago, Beth had gone to Walmart, and our, our child was younger at the time. I don't remember which one it was. I guess it was our oldest. Had, uh, um, you know, just a huge meltdown like they love to do, you know, in, in the, the aisles of Walmart, Right. And so, you know, all day long we had been dealing with this toddler and lovingly, patiently stopping from killing them all day long. And then they go to Walmart and they have that outburst. And then someone with the most loving, careful intentions comes and tells you how to parent your child while they're having an outburst. 
in the middle of Walmart, and they begin to graciously tell you how you should be a mom, you know. Uh, I, I, it, luckily, my, my wife was more Jesus-filled that day and, and didn't, didn't do something inappropriate that would have cost me my job. But, uh, you know, you want to say to that person, ma'am, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I'm the mom. I'm the dad. That's my kid. Go get your cereal. Right? I mean, that's just kind of, that's because God has gifted us to parent our children. That's my role. That's my authority. You don't have all the issues. You don't know all the things that we went through today to get to this moment and what we've tried up until this time. That's not your job. And the same is true in every position. Think about the church. God places order in the church. There's pastors, teachers, and elders. Biblically, what does that say? Pastors are to preach, teach, prescribe doctrine, defend the church from false doctrine, to patiently instruct, rebuke, discipline, and train and exhort God's people to be the people they've called to be. Deacons, you're called to deke. That means you're called to serve, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and equip the church to do the ministry of the church. Our church leaders are called to lift up the church and serve the church and be who they've called to be. Members, what are members in Scripture called to do? Members are called to weep with those who weep, love those who uh, are unlovable, to love without hypocrisy, rejoice with those who rejoice. The Bible even says to visit the sick, to visit those in prison, to clothe the naked, to care for the lowly. And sometimes we look at pastors and we say, pastor's job is to visit the sick. Yeah, as a church member, it is. But in fact, the Bible says your role as a church member is to visit the hospitals, and visit the prisons, and make disciples, and go tell the world about Jesus. And sometimes we begin to compare and say, in churches, we say, well, I wish the pastor would do this more, or I wish that small group leader wouldn't have done this, or I wish they would fix this. I'm so don't, I don't agree with that decision over there. And the question is, but how are you being the best you in the role that God has called you to be? We all fail, we all fall short, and all those things, but Jesus said, a divided house always fail. And when church members and pastors begin to compare themselves against other pastors or, or members in the body begin to compare themselves, well, I wish I could play the piano, I can't do that, or I'm not like that, or they do that. And, and then we begin to compare our gifts. You're not called to be the piano player, maybe. You're not called to be the usher, maybe. But what has God gifted you with, and how can you do it to the fullness of your ability? And let God deal with that person. And or let the person who is over authority of that person deal with that. For instance, I can't believe they let that person on the worship team. Now, I'm not talking about worship team members, but I can't believe. Well, how about you let the worship leader have that authority and deal with who they led on the worship team? And if there's a problem, I'm sure the pastor or the worship leader will deal with it. But who am I? That's not my realm of responsibility. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Or for instance, how do you think about the story in John chapter 21 with Peter and, and Jesus Jesus gets told, uh, Jesus, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to die a horrible death. Sorry, bud. And he says, well, what about that dude over there? And look at this conversation. He says, this is what Jesus said. He said, so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, what about that man, John, that man right there? And Jesus says to him, if I want him to live forever until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I've got a role for you to play in my plan and I got a role for him to play. You don't worry about what his job is. You worry about what your job is. That's from the mouths of Jesus, by the way, not Heath Harris. You worry about what you are. Be the best mom you can be in the Lord. Use the gifts God's given you. Man, be the best husband and dad you can be. Church member, be the best church member. Worship team, be the best worship team. Door greeter, be the best door greeter. And do what God has equipped you to do and bless one another. Bless one another. How am I following Christ 
in the position and role he has me to be in? And how do I come under the authority of those that God has put in my life? The whole camp had to wait seven days for Miriam before they could move forward. Maybe our families are not moving forward into the place they're called to be because we're not doing the jobs God has called us to do, to be the best husbands and wives and children and church members and church leaders and pastors that God has called us to be. What has this to do with me? What charge has God given me? And how am I doing my part in God's plan that my family is blessed and my church family is blessed? James 3 says this, From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing, brethren. These things should not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? I'll close with this. The word Miriam in Scripture, her name in the Hebrew can mean two things. It can mean water or bitter. And in fact, if you take out in the Hebrew one letter, it means bitter. This woman was always associated with life-giving water. She saved her brother from the Nile, life-giving water. She led God's people through the Red Sea, celebrated on the other side, life-giving water. But in one moment, we can all slip, and we all have. But thank God, she had a humble, faithful intercessor, who even though she had injured herself, was willing to heal her and restore her to right relationship. The Bible says you and I have this faithful high priest, Jesus Christ, that we can come to. He's, even though we injure him, even though we may curse him, even though we may fail him, he is always faithful and just to forgive us of unrighteousness and cleanse us from our sin. Jesus is the Moses who wants to lead us into God's very best for our family and church family. And all we've got to do is start with that first thing and I'll give you this as we close. Confess. That means to move forward, to come to our Jesus, to our Moses, and acknowledge ourselves. James says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. Come into right relationship together. Get it all out in the open and don't be judged by what we do or say behind closed doors and let the devil get out of the situation. Say, devil, you don't have a hold on this. I'm exposing this in the light of God and we're moving forward. Number two, don't compare. Don't compare. Comparison leads to a critical spirit. Know my position and fulfill God's plan for my life. And in conflict, ask, what does this have to do with me? Stay in my lane. I want to stay in my lane. And next is come alongside those who are in authority. How can I help you? I'm, if you're the wife, wife, how can you help your husband be the best husband he can be? Husband, how can you help your wife be the best wife she can be? Church member, how can you help your small group leader, your other PIP members in the body of Christ be the best church members you can be? How can we go along together and bless one another into the people, uh, to be the people God's called us to be? And if there is an issue, and if it is someone within your realm of authority, within the order that God has placed you in, my children are under my authority, my wife, or if it's under my ministry or my leadership, or your friend who you have direct relationship and accountability with, then communicate directly. Don't go to the guy who made the golden cow. Go talk to them face to face and say, this is between me and you. And lastly is keep account of how many blessings God, when we open our mouth in our private conversations, do we bless more than anything else? Would you stand with me this morning? Ms. T, would you come? Thank God for a humble, loving, and righteous intercessor, Jesus Christ. Because every person in this room, I'm gonna, I just guarantee we've all failed with our mouths many, many times. 
And God wants to just bring us into a place where he can bless us. Maybe you're a married couple today and maybe your spouse doesn't even know it, but there's just things that just annoys you to death and things that you've just grumbled about. And you say, you know what? I need to turn that grumbling into blessing, to praying for my spouse, to lifting them up, to encouraging them, to do my part. The only control the Bible gives us is self-control. And as you lovingly help and exhort that person, I believe God will change their heart. You may have to be faithful for years to bless and bless and bless and lift up and encourage and encourage, but God will do the work. Let God do the work. Maybe it's something in, in, your, in your personal life. Maybe there's been an offense. Maybe there's been an injury done to you. And you're just going to be like Moses, say, God, I'm going to let it go. And I'm just going to intercede for that person and bless that person in Jesus' name. Maybe there's been comparison. Maybe today you don't really know who you are in Jesus Christ. And you need to start that journey of being in right relationship with him. You can do that right now. You can just say, Lord, if I don't know that if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Would you make it into the promised land of God? Would you go this journey with Jesus? Have you given up control of your life to come under his order to his? He has to be master, Lord of your life for you to be under his authority, to him to be king of your life. Have you surrendered control to Jesus first and foremost? And if you want to do that today, you can do that just to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I submit my life to your life. And say, God, I know you have the best plan. The best blessing is with Jesus Christ. He leads you to life everlasting, to have life abundantly. That means giving up our care and control of our life and totally surrendering, saying, God, I want to live by your word. I want to live by your spirit. I know that Jesus loved me. He died for me. He was raised to new life. He's coming back again to claim his bride, the church, to take us to that promised land. But you've got to be willing to follow him on the journey. So maybe that's you today. You could be at any place. And I just want every head bowed and every eye closed. I want us just to examine our hearts today. Are you a blesser? Have you surrendered? Do you know your position? So, Father, I just ask you right now, all across this room, many people could be at many different places. Lord, you, Holy Spirit, would you just deal with each person?